Welcome to some like it pop. I Jen, do we have a name for this yet? Are we do we decide what we're gonna call this yet? Well, first of all, that's a great start. And no, we do not. Okay, well let's this is some like it pop adjacent. I, I kinda like stream like it's pop, but we'll get to that here in a minute. I am Broadway World and Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini, and as always I am joined by the brains of our operation, Jennifer McHugh. Jen, it's been like ten months since we've done a podcast together. How are you doing? I um I mean it's been a rough couple of weeks, but I overall I'm doing okay. How are you? Um, I'm tired, Jen. I'm not gonna lie. Samesies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and not just because uh, we're recording at eleven o'clock p.m. Eastern time, but also one of the reasons we haven't done a some like it pop in ten months, almost a year, is because we both got exceptionally busy with work and and other things in life, and it just got to the, be the point where ain't no one got time for that. But Nonetheless, we continue to chat about pop culture through text and through Gchat and stuff. So we have kept abreast on our pop culture opinions. You've yelled at me for liking Venom and not liking Thor Ragnarok. And I've, you know, supported your Hamilton uh, obsession throughout the year as well. But it is ba- it's good to finally be back and recording something with you for the first time in almost a year. It is. I've come dangerously close to missing you, so I'm really excited to talk about this because I am sure we're not going to agree. Oh, yeah, I can guarantee that's what we do. That's that's what makes some like it pop exciting. But before we get into that, remember, you can follow Jen on Twitter at EponineQ. That's E-P-O-N-I-N-E-Q. And you can follow me at B-W-W-M-A-T-T. And I think as long as we keep the same acronym, you can still follow us on Twitter at SLIP podcast. We'll, we'll post uh, stuff about this episode there. So we'll, as we start to figure out, Janet, I think we're going to start talking about theatrical things that you can see on screen, whether that's a movie screen, a TV screen, or a computer screen. We're going to start talking about those things a little bit more here on Broadway radio. So keep your eyes on SLIP podcast on Twitter and we'll keep the information coming there. Now, Jen, the reason we are talking today, for obvious reason, there was a huge major event about theater on screen here in the last few days, and it is one that is especially close to your and my heart, and that is Rent. December 24th. 9 p.m. 1991 I start to shoot my latest film today See if I've got anything to say I doubt it First shot, Roger Tuning his Fender guitar He hasn't played in a year This one too Yeah, so we hear He's just coming back From half a year of withdrawal Talking to me? Not at all When we've talked about our favorite musicals on some like a pops list of Palooza episodes, Rent was at or near the top for both of our lists. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, do you have a Rent tattoo or no? I do not. I have uh, Lost, I have Hamilton, and I have Les Mis. But back in the day when I was thinking about it, when I was really obsessed with it, the main logo was the word Rent, and I thought... (laughs) that wouldn't be the best idea to get tattooed on my body. Uh, although a, a timely reminder, but I, 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 I just <laughs> Look thought at the first of the month, of you know, turn it's one, of, your... it's one of the wise decisions I made in my twenties. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Yeah. I mean, you could have done something else. You could have done, I feel like over the moon could have been a fun one or, or, um, I don't I know. know. No, I know no day, but today was a big one. Back yeah, in the oh, day. Yeah. 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 
It became really cliche, and I, I don't mean to keep rhyming. It's it's going to go away. <laughs> oh, look what you did there. Very well done. Um, all right, Jen, so we're going to get into our conversation proper here in a few minutes. But before we started, I wanted to kind of frame what we were going to discuss, or at least how we were going to approach it, with a few questions, just so we can see where we're at with the rent broadcast on Fox on Sunday night. Now, I think the major thing that is a talking point for this broadcast was how they decided to handle what was put on television following the injury to Brennan Hunt, who was playing Roger. He, if you didn't know, he popped his ankle, broke his foot, broke a bone in the arch of his foot uh, during the dress rehearsal on Saturday night. So then on Sunday, they decided to air part of the dress rehearsal, almost the majority of the dress rehearsal, and then do the final act, like television act, with him in his ginormous cast uh, sitting on stage. So, Jen, I want to know how you thought the decision, whether that was from Fox, the producers, whoever, Greif and Alex Radetzky, who's the, the TV director, what did you think about how they decided to put their product on air Sunday night? Um, I think I, I can agree with most of the uh, musical theater Twitter world. And first of all, just be absolutely incensed that they didn't have an understudy in place with something as big of a scale as this is. Um, that was just unbelievable to me. And I mean, it, it's hard to say because, you know, that's such a unique situation. You know, what do you do? Um, do you put forth the, this dress rehearsal where it was just a rehearsal or do you rework camera angles and, and scenes to accommodate this actor? But I don't know. It was a game time decision and, and they did what they had to do, but I just thought, you know, it was rent live and it was not rent live. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, you said it was a game time decision and in, in the scale of all that had to be done. Sure. It was super last minute, but in the moment for me, I felt like, well, it's a tough situation. You've got to deal with advertisers. Maybe they didn't want it to be scaled back. Uh, but then you have to deal with the fact that some of the performers, while going as hard as they could in some areas, seemed to be marking a little bit. So to me, it just felt like as last minute, quote unquote, as it was, they still had 20-ish hours that they could have come up with something better than what they did. It didn't bother me as much while I was watching, but the more I've thought about it since then, I just feel like the production did a disservice, not only to its audience, but to its performers as well, because it, while we can talk about the individual performances moving forward, I, I think if you watched, it was pretty obvious that some people were marking to a certain degree, either to conserve energy or or because uh, maybe their voices were a little tired. I think there was at least one or two performers where you could really tell um, that they were holding back vocally and they just weren't able to hit it. And maybe they wouldn't have been able to on Sunday either. But I think airing a broadcast where people were clearly not 100% during what they thought was a rehearsal, even if, even if they knew that it could be used in small parts, this wasn't what they signed up for. And, and I think that that's really too bad because I feel like this had the opportunity to be a really special broadcast. I, I think we can quibble about how hyperactive some of it was, but I thought the staging and the set was was really great compared to what we normally see for these uh, live TV things. And I, 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 I want to talk a little bit more about Michael Greif's direction a little bit later, but I agree with you. It just seemed like a miss when it could have been so much better. I was also wondering about 
the fact that because we knew that it was pre-recorded and he wasn't there, I was watching Roger in a lot of the scenes and I kept thinking, would it really done a disservice to this production if they just had him sit there? <laughs> you know, like were, were the adjustments that major that they couldn't have had him sit there and sing that song? Yeah. I mean, it was, a, it, I'm, I am sure that that set uh, was not Americans with Disability Act compliant. Um, so I don't think him racing around these walkways in a wheelchair would have worked. But I, I have to feel like they could have figured something out. And I don't know what it was. And, and I don't know the technical aspects of of all of this. And I don't know if advertisers would have had a problem if they would have done it that way. But it just seems to me like there was something there that they could have done. And And to me, it just feels like they took the path of least resistance and very rarely in life or in art is the past of path of least resistance, the best path. So we'll talk about this a little bit more when we break it down in full gen, but I want to move on to something a little happier and talk about who our favorite performers were from the night. Um, whether it was, you know, the way they approached the character, uh, in a little different, uh, different way, or just the performance they gave in general, who was your favorite cast member? on the night i can't believe you even have to ask i mean I kinda, well yeah. <laughs> it's brandon victor dixon of course um, the hamilton although jordan fisher is a hamilton alum as well he is and he he did you know admirable fine yeah. but i i mean bvd has the powerhouse number which is my favorite and i really thought that he uh brought it home in the second act and it really brought me to tears you know and well, you know, I don't have to tell you, <laughs> no, but especially on that number, you know, piggybacking on Jesus Christ Superstar, where he was also my favorite performer. I just thought he was the best of the night. Yeah, I mean, he's coming off uh, a year when he was nominated for an Emmy for Jesus Christ Superstar Live. So there is no doubt that he came in with high expectations. I, I love Brandon Victor Dixon. I didn't love this performance as much. I thought maybe just because of the the nature of the character of Collins uh, in the first act, he doesn't have a ton to do. And I just felt like he was a little too reserved in the first act, but you're right. In that second act, he kicks it up and he is a, I mean, a show stopping force in the second act. But speaking of show stopping forces in a good way, my favorite performer is Broadway alum. So you think you can dance judge. Vanessa Hudgens. Uh, I have said on Broadway radio a, a number of times that I I didn't know a ton about Vanessa Hudgens until Grease Live. Like, of course, I knew who she was, but I never saw any of the high school musical things. I think Grease Live was the first thing I ever saw her in. Um, and I thought she was great as Rizzo. Um, and then she became a judge on So You Think You Can Dance. And even though she's not really giving a ton of dance insight, and she's probably would be way too extra for me in real life. Like, I think she comes across as a genuinely nice and friendly person and a, and a, and a fun person. So I've really have kind of become a fan of hers. And I thought she was amazing as Maureen. I did not necessarily see her as a Maureen. Um, at the beginning, she's very much in the Annalie Ashford, um, mold in terms of that character. But I thought her over the moon was a highlight, especially because up until that, point i thought the first act was really kind of slow and was dragging and uh, that song is one that is one of the two songs that i skip every time i listen to the album and uh, we'll talk about the other one later but i actually enjoyed it it was goofy and it was crazy and it was over the top but i think that's kind of her personality 
And I really liked Vanessa Hudgens, I think. Oh my god, she was terrible. Well, she was. I, I don't understand how you can objectively say she was terrible. I can understand. She was. If- she's. She's keeps getting these cast in these bad girl roles. They cast her as Rizzo. They cast her as Mimi. They cast her as Maureen. And that's. She's not it. So she goes above and beyond. She makes it a cartoon. And yeah, she has a pretty voice. I'm sure she's a lovely person. She was grossly miscast. I am forbidden to produce milk. Inside the land, we only drink Diet Coke. Coke. Taking anything that Brandon Victor Dixon was uh, involved in out, especially the I'll Cover You reprise, what was your favorite number, excluding him, because that would be kind of repetitive to talk about um, I'll Cover You reprise, what was your favorite number in the show other than those? Well, I'm ashamed to say this because I consider myself a Rent fanatic, but I'm I'm not quite sure what the name of the song is. I want to say it's called Will I. Am I right? Yes, it is. Okay. Will I. Oh, so Will I is the almost reprise or the second part of the mm-hmm. life, support life support meeting. Yeah. And I loved the gentleman, and I really need to find out his name, who walked down the stairs, who was clearly very affected and far along in the AIDS virus. Um, and he started to sing that, and as they panned slowly a- around the stage, they had everybody in the whole cast singing it, which kind of united everybody in the fact that everyone is always worried about losing their dignity, and even though everybody's really different on that stage, everyone is together in that sense of thought. Yeah, that was uh, a great performance, and you could tell he had the, the the marks on his face, the lesions on his face, and it, it that made it even, because that's something you don't see on stage. Even if they had that type of makeup on that character on stage, which I don't think they do, um, it wouldn't be visible. So that was one of the things that I thought was really interesting with the close-ups of doing it on television, that you were able to see that this character was clearly affected and that puts so much more weight on that number um for my answer i'm just going to piggyback off what you said in terms of the i'll cover you reprise it's been no secret that that's my favorite show tune of all time could be my favorite song of all time and while nothing will ever surpass jesse l martin's original um brandon victor dixon's was was pretty close and and uniquely a very different way jesse is a has a very rich baritone and while Brandon has those notes. That's not the direction they took it. They took it a little bit more toward toward his natural tenor, um, and I enjoyed it nonetheless. Chills, tears, you know, all the stuff that goes along with that song when it's done well. Live in my house. I'll be your shelter. Just pay me back. One thousand kisses Be my lover And I will cover you 
Um, okay, Jen, before we jump into the larger discussion here, if you had to give this broadcast a letter grade, what would that be? I'm giving it a C plus, but mostly due to circumstances, because I think I probably would have landed around a B or a B minus overall if everything, which is so arrogant and saying, but if everything <laughs> had gone according to plan, um, I it probably would have landed in the Bs, but I'm going to go with a C plus. Yeah, I think I'm I'm in that same ballpark with you. I probably will give it a B minus, maybe on the edge of a B minus to a B. Um, obviously, I, I was not a fan of how they handled these things. I thought some of the casting was laughable. I, I just don't understand how some of these people were cast in this show in principal roles. And and I want to talk about that a little later. But I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt because Michael Greif has been the director of Rent for, since the beginning. Since the New York Theater Workshop, on Broadway, all of those tours off Broadway and even when he is not the official director like this current non-equity anniversary tour he's not the official director but his assistant director was recreating his direction so when they announced that he was going to be the one doing the staging for this broadcast I kind of thought okay I know what we're going to get we're going to get some version of rent that we're used to now on screen but while there were certainly elements of the stage version in this gen, I thought it was very inventive. I thought they used the set in a really interesting way, basically turning it into theater or whatever in the round. Um, I, I thought that the staging was really great. It was a little frenetic and a little frantic for me at times. Um, but that also has to do with the the cameras as well. But I was really appreciated the fact that Michael Greif not only took a, a look at this property with new eyes, but did it with a lot of creativity. I think obviously he's become a better director in the 20 plus years since he originally staged Rent. And I think it showed. Yeah, it wasn't for me. Really? <laughs> I, um, one of the things that I, I loved about Rent was that it was very intimate. It was very small. It it opened in the Broadway district in the Nederlander Theater, which was run down a little, you know, mm-hmm. a little further south than the usual big theaters. And it was really intimate. And, and you formed relationships with these characters. And this, to me, felt like he was trying to win an Emmy. And everything that he was doing was probably trying to keep the audience interested but i don't know i just it like you said it was really frantic it felt almost like i it didn't do wonders for my add <laughs> i just uh or motion sickness or motion sickness i would much rather just watch them perform it on a proscenium and i guess i'm just an old now <laughs> but i like oh, yeah. the, i like my rent the old fashioned way well, I mean, I think you have a really valid point. The, the thing with Rent was not only that it was intimate, uh, because the Nederlander is not a small theater, but it felt dirty. Um, you know, the, the Nederlander, they, it was a kind of a rundown theater, and they even themed it, if I'm going to steal a, a theme park term uh, from down here in Orlando where I live, they themed it to look even more beat up. Like, I remember sitting in the balcony or the mezzanine the first time I went and saw it on Broadway, and like, there was visible wallpaper tearing. But when I got close to it, I realized it was the wallpaper that looked like it was wallpaper peeling. Um, and so they 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 embraced that grittiness. They embraced that street culture. 
and and this was definitely sharp. This was polished. And I think that translates to the cast as well, Jen. And I feel like that's one of my problems too. This cast. Yeah, I mean, like, like you were saying, um, and as I'm sure that we're going to talk about, but they're very pretty. They're very clean. Very pretty. Yes. They're very, I, I feel like, you know, it's a, a 90s theme party where they're all wearing their grunge pieces from the era. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I never once believed that Mimi was a, a, a heroin addict. Never yeah. once. No. No. And I think you, you say a, a costume party. I kind of feel like it's it was it was a college or a high school production of rent. And now that's not what's what's interesting about this is, is that the people that were in these principal roles were probably actually age appropriate. Brandon Victor Dixon and Mario to an extent, but Brandon Victor Dixon was a little older um, than the rest of the cast. But I think that probably makes sense if he's a a, a professor. Um, so maybe it actually makes sense that he's older, but everybody else was probably age appropriate in their mid uh, early to mid twenties. Vanessa is actually in her early thirties, but she still could play a 18 year old to be honest with you. But to me, the problem with that is not authenticity because I don't really ever care about how old somebody is on stage or, or on screen, but especially on stage. The problem with it is, is though they look like they came from like a prep school or a boarding school because they look, they don't look like they have gone through anything in their lives. They have don't look like they are um, world weary and beaten down. When you think about the original Broadway cast, first off, very few people in that cast, um, even approach the attractiveness level of half of the people in this one. But despite the fact that they were young, they were actually older um, than, than this cast was. And you could see that their ages gave them the appearance of having been through some shit. You know, it's not like they were just straight out of college and, hey, I'm having some fun, you know, living paycheck to paycheck. It looked like they'd lived through things. They looked like they had had dealt with drug addiction. They looked like they'd been hungry for days at a time. And, And I think that that's important. I think when you see a Jordan Fisher, who is a very good looking young man who doesn't have bags under his eyes, that looks like he, you know, could go all night, you know, at a dance party or whatever, you don't buy him as a struggling artist. And I think the same is true with Vanessa and, and Tinashe and, and Brennan. It, they didn't scream struggling artist bohemian to me. You're right. And like a lot of people say, um, you know, sometimes when you see people's age, you're like, Oh, I'm 25. And you're like, Ooh, that's a hard 25. Yeah. But all of these, if, if you told me all of these people were 22, I would totally believe you. And when you say, oh, Anthony Rapp was 40 when he played Mark, you're like, yeah, I see it. But he can pass as, <laughs> as, as 25, but it's a hard 25. Yeah. Whereas these guys, and maybe it's just because I'm old, but they, they do. Oh, have we are both old. Kids. Yeah, we are, we are both in the olds <laughs> category. There's no doubt. We definitely are. But like, you're right. They don't have bags under their eyes. And if you don't have heat and you don't have, um, you know, if you're living on heroin and no food, or if you haven't left the house in six months, like that shows on your face and <laughs> they just don't look so pretty. Yeah. I just, it, yeah, that was hard. Well, and, and yeah. And I think that that kind of plays to the television version of these things, because I understand what they're trying to do when they, when they get these young music stars. And, and this maybe goes to the fact that we're old gen other than like Mario 
and obviously Vanessa Hudgens uh, and Jordan Fisher and Brandon Victor Dixon, I guess, too. But like, I didn't know who any of these people were like Brendan Hunt, Tanache, Valentina, Kiersey Clemens. Like, I didn't know who these people were. So I didn't know if they went out and cast these people because of their followings. Like, as I kind of clicked around, like I, they don't seem to have like huge followings like in the realm of Vanessa Hudgens. And so I don't know where that came from. I think they were all they were serviceable, but that also goes to the decision that Fox made. Like Brendan Hunt seemed like he was fine. He was talented. He didn't blow me away as Roger. But why was it so necessary that they didn't come up with a plan or didn't have an understudy to replace him? I know that NBC has had understudies for roles um, in 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 years past, obviously, if Carrie Underwood had gotten hurt, they weren't replacing her um, or even Christopher Walken or something like that. So I get that. But like Brennan Hunt is not Carrie Underwood or even Christopher Walken. Like if they would have had an understudy for him and, the, and he would have gone on, like, I don't think that would have I don't think maybe people outside of Brennan Hunt's family would have cared. I also enjoyed all the tweets that were like, um, you guys know Adam Pascal is literally backstage, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, I don't know that he could pass for 20s. He would be a very, very hard 25, <laughs> uh, especially because he's got like white hair now. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just I mean, I understand that it's, it's, they've been rehearsing for months and I get that it's hard with the cameras. I, I totally understand. But it just feels like I'm not sure what they were trying to maintain by doing it this way. Um, is it, would it technically be that difficult to do the, the, the scenes that Roger wasn't in live and then maybe then just cut to his scenes from the dress rehearsal or figure out a way to make his scenes more stationary. It just feels like, again, I go back to this. They they took the easiest way out and that's almost never a good thing. The other thing I was going to say before we move off of the cast is I didn't feel an ounce of chemistry. There was never a time when I fully believed that Roger and Mimi were madly in love. Um, I felt very little. Or were even really attracted to each other. Like half the time they weren't even looking at each other. Yeah. And Collins and Angel were a little bit better, but not that, I mean, your heart breaks for Angel dying because there's, you know, extenuating circumstances, but Mm -hmm. there wasn't a lot of chemistry there. There wasn't a lot of chemistry between Maureen and Joanne. There was no tension between Maureen and and Mark. Like no. it, there was nothing. There was no part of those relationships where I was like, oh yeah, they they they're exes. Like I I can see that. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I do think "Take Me or Leave Me" was was a good number. It wasn't my favorite, but I thought it was done well. That's actually where I felt like Kiersey Clemens actually came into her own because the first act I was kind of underwhelmed. I didn't really get it, uh, but I thought "Take Me or Leave Me" was a was a good number. Uh, but you mentioned Angel, and look, we have to talk about this. Valentina looks perfect for Angel. Valentina's personality is perfect for Angel. But she can't sing. <laughs> I mean, and, and yes, she sounded like she had a gravelly voice, so maybe there was some sort of vocal issues that she was trying to protect during the dress rehearsal on Saturday, but like, Angel has to have like this crystal clear, crystalline falsetto. And Valentina just felt really rumbly and really gruff and didn't feel like she could hit the notes at all. So it just goes back to these decisions where like, I feel like everything that happened 
from a producer level in terms of like casting and making the call on what to do with you know the 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 injury it just missed the mark and and i and i'm i'm really disappointed about that because i feel like if you would have replaced a couple of these folks that seem to have it rough um they could have done a lot better and to me jen it goes back to i saw and we might have talked about this before in the past the only production that i've ever walked out of before it was over and i didn't even make a tenor mission was a college production of rent where they bragged about the fact I mean, like in their their like press releases and materials, bragged about the fact that they don't they didn't actually have a, a musical theater program at this school. It was all straight acting. So they were going to approach rent from an acting standpoint and music was going to be secondary. That does not work, as you can imagine. Jesus, um, you made it all the way to intermission? No, I did not. No, I did not make it to intermission. I walked out in probably two thirds of the way through the first act. Um, and I only stayed because I was with other people. Um, but what I'm getting at is if you're going to do rent, you've got to be not a triple threat. Cause there's not a lot of dancing. You've got to be a legit all-star both singing and acting. This is based on an opera. So the, the characters are big and the emotions are big, obviously, but you can't have one without the other in a sung through musical. You have to be able to emote through singing and you have to be able to sing while emoting and you can't have one without the other. And I felt like in a lot of cases, the, the, the actors that struggled were the ones who were singers first or actors slash personalities first. Because I feel the same way about this one in dancing. Because they really upped the choreography on this because True. choreography in the past was pretty basic. I mean, it's not a dancing show. There's a few numbers here and there, but they really upped it in this show. But I noticed, and I'm sure you did too, that there were many songs where they were out of breath. And since totally. we know the songs so well, we're like, oh, honey, you you still have a minute left. Like, <laughs> you, you still got to hit those notes. Yeah. And so that was... I don't know. I guess it's a little bit of uh, arrogance because you're like, yeah, theater seems fun, but it's pretty freaking hard. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, and uh, Elaine, uh, Elaine Stritch, the legendary, the late, the great Elaine Stritch was quoting or paraphrasing Ethel Merman, who she understudied early in her career and said to do a musical comedy, you have to live like a nun. And obviously Brent's not a musical comedy, but it's the same kind of idea to do this. Well, you have to be in peak physical and vocal shape and emotional shape. You have to be able to, to to tap into those emotions. And I just don't feel like they were there despite having rehearsed for months. And, and that was disappointing to me because Jen, you and I both love not just this show itself, but we love musical theater. And when it gets opportunities like this to shine, you want it to be, in the best possible light. And I think very rarely has that happened. And, uh, you know, going back to Jesus Christ Superstar, which I still think was the best total package of any of these live musicals of, of the recent era dating back to Sound of Music Live. Yes, um, the two biggest names in that weren't necessarily theater stars, first and foremost. Sarah Bareilles has obviously um, had her fair share of, of theater acting um, a little bit before and after, but she came up doing theater. So the theater is not new to her. John Legend is 
not as much a theater person, although he understands theater. He's a Tony winning theater producer. But what I appreciated about that is really the majority of the rest of the cast, specifically in the ensemble, which is much more prevalent in Jesus Christ Superstar than it is uh, than it is in Rent, was all theater people. They made that show electric for me. I loved Sarah. I loved John. Um, but the ensemble was what really made it stand out. And then you throw in Brandon Victor Dixon, who is a Tony nominee, you know, A-list theater talent. And that just shows you the importance of having theater people do these things. Now, I understand you've got to have stars to sell these things to advertisers, to get viewers when they're on TV. But it just feels like going with these people who I've never heard of, and again, old, hand-raised, I'm an old, I, I don't understand why these people were cast when you probably could have cast a theater person that just as many people knew and would have gotten a performance that was 10 times as good. It's true. And it's always going to go back to that argument, you know, even when they do movies of musicals mm-hmm. and, and they cast big names and you're like, hey, you know who would have done that role really well? Madonna, Patti LuPone. <laughs> um, so I don't understand what happened there, but you know what? They sold tickets. So good for them. Yeah. Well, okay. So there's a couple of the things I feel. Is there anything else that about big picture show performance things that you wanted to mention before I run off to a couple of random stuff? The only other thing I wanted to mention was the audience, which, Oh yeah. As you know, in the past I've been like, doesn't work without audiences. You need the energy, <laughs> you need the applause. And then here I am like, yeah, the audience was annoying as shit. Um, there has to be some sort of a happy medium between no audience and people thinking that they're at a Backstreet Boys concert because the hooting and howling and screaming. And I mean, I just want to hear them sing, you know, and I would say that at any concert, you know, like, can I just hear them sing? And then we applaud afterwards, like, you know, human beings or but like at the theater. It was too much. It was just way too much. And you know what? I don't blame the audience for that because I am almost positive that that was at the direction of the stage management crew. Like I agree. I am sure that that was what they wanted. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a, it's the wrong thing to want. And we saw it in Jesus Christ superstar. Like there were moments in both superstar and rent where like, I felt like I couldn't hear the lyrics over the audience and that's never good for theater. You know, Stephen Sondheim says the reason that he, harps so much on having perfect rhymes in theater lyrics is because people only get one chance to hear it and then you moved on if you just literally can't hear the rhyme or the lyrics at all uh you're doomed if you don't understand what's going on and i feel like i saw a lot of people for that reason and other things on twitter saying this is the first time i've ever seen rent i have no idea what's going on i'm completely lost at which point i was like Welcome to Rent. That's how things go um, with this show the first time or two you see it. But um, you're right. And, and speaking of the audience, like I also not a big fan of Mark and Roger crowd surfing in What You Own. Like, what the hell was that about? Oh, my God. That was embarrassing. Yeah, as soon as like, that happened, the first thing that went through my mind when that happened, I was like, oh, well, here's where he broke his ankle <laughs> because I'm I'm 100 years old and I'm just like, oh, that's very dangerous. But um, yeah, <laughs> right, I hope you got just, a permission slip. To <laughs> it was just unnecessary. And I don't know. There's- and, com- and completely not in the character of that song. Like if you would have had Maureen yeah. crowd surf during Over the Moon, totally get it. Or or Mark do it in La Vie Bohème, 
totally get it. But this is the thing where they kind of like find their purpose in life and make huge monumental life-changing decisions and realizations about themselves. And they're just going to dive into a random crowd of strangers that theoretically isn't actually there in the real world narrative. Yeah. I mean, it's literally the penultimate number where it sets up, you know, like the rest of the show. And even I was watching with my boyfriend, he's like, wait, he's back in New York. When did that happen? I'm like, oh, when they were crowd surfing. Okay, okay, what else do you have, Jen? What else do I have? God, I gosh, we're like... Um, the only other thing is... I think it goes back to me being an old-fashioned gal and, and discussing it with my boyfriend. Like, do we need these live broadcasts shot for television? Or why can't we just shoot shows? Like, I remember back in the day when MTV did the finding the next Elle Woods, like they showed a broadcast of the mm-hmm. Legally Blonde musical. So that's so much more entertaining and that, that sucks so many more people in. So why don't we do that instead of all these grandiose plans to try and win Emmys for cinematography? Well, I, I, I mean, I don't disagree with you in theory because I, I think that a musical should be the way the musical was originally intended. And that's generally on stage. Um, I think there's a ton of, like financial reasons why those don't happen. And I know that's not necessarily what you're actually asking. Um, but I think it has to do with the the strength of the theatrical unions. Um, I don't know if it would be as cost effective as crazy as that sounds when it comes to the rights that they would be due moving forward. But then also, I don't know if the networks can sell that as well to their advertisers. If they say, Hey, we're going to take, you know, a theater production with theater stars uh, and we're just going to film it in New York and broadcast that, or even broadcast it live. I don't know that that would excite, you know, whoever's advertising, you know, to spend money as opposed to saying, Hey, we're going to do this huge special event that you can only see once. And we're going to throw some names in it that people might get excited about. So in theory, I am totally with you and totally with your boyfriend, but I just don't know if that's as feasible to do um, from a financial standpoint. Yeah, I guess it's just wishful thinking. Yeah. And then the the last thing I wanted to mention was um, the lyrics. Because <laughs> you and I are, as they would say, rent heads. And yes. we know every single word of it. And even during Love You Bohem, like I kept getting looks like, why do you know every word to this song? But we do. And everyone who grew up in that time knows every single word. So why are you changing lyrics when it doesn't matter? Like, stop it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are obviously certain things that they can't say on network television and i knew that going in i expected that going in but then there was some lyrics that like they changed the um you know think twice before you poo poo it line i was like what what is that is poo poo not allowed to be said on fox like otherwise they just made an imperfect rhyme they took they took what was a perfect rhyme turned it into an imperfect rhyme and changed it for no apparent reason i don't 
I don't get that. Like, and I'm I totally I'm fine with them adapting things. I actually thought the added dialogue actually made a ton of sense, especially in and out of commercials, because it's Mark narrating not only the action for the audience at home, but theoretically for this ridiculous home movie that's apparently his groundbreaking film, which I never really understood that, to be honest with you. Um, But it made sense, and I thought it worked well in the context of a TV broadcast of this show. But like these random lyric changes, although I I do know that you liked the lyric changes in You'll See, right? Well, I liked the one you just said because I've always hated that line so much. Oh, wow. And so every time he says, think twice before you poo-poo it, I would always say, think think twice before you don't do it because I just oh. hated it. Yeah, that makes <laughs> so sense too. When he, when he switched it, I was like, all right, that one I can deal with. But <laughs> Yeah, but yours is still better than what they said. Correct, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like they changed um, You Can Take the Girl Out of Hicksville. And I saw that in the original production, but every production since I've seen Jersey. Yes, it, and I think that's just because I think uh, crowds outside of New York don't know that Hicksville is kind of a this is probably not PC. I mean, a, a kind of a white trashy part of Long Island, um, so they changed it to Jersey, um, which I think everybody just kind of assumes is white trashy because everything's legal in Jersey. Um, but yeah, every production I've seen since then has been that. So, and I think we both saw the 20th anniversary tour, which says that as well. Which is funny because I didn't know that was an actual place because I'm from, you know, the the mountains mm-hmm. of northeast Pennsylvania and people just say it's Hicks, like you're in the middle yeah. of Hicksville. Yeah, so I Hicks thought it was town, just yeah. a generic, I didn't know it was an actual place. So yeah. I learned something tonight too. Yeah, there you go. Speaking <laughs> Speaking of original productions, how did you feel about them kind of making fun of Mark's original sweater? I thought that was cute. I didn't think they were making fun of it as much as I thought it was like an homage I, I, it got a. It was kind of like a wink for me to totally. the to the real fans. And um, I don't know if you noticed or not, but when he was on the telephone toward the end, um, he was on the phone to Alexi Darling at Buzzline. Mm-hmm. That show's so That's sleazy. Just, I was just going to say the same thing. <laughs> and uh, there was a flyer for the Moondance Diner on the side of the phone booth, which was where Jonathan Larson worked while he was writing this. That's so awesome. And I. Um, in that same vein, this is something that I didn't know that I was told um, after the fact that, you know, Kiala Settle played a gender flipped version of the character Paul, who's the like the group leader at um, at the life support meeting. When she says when they're going, hi, I'm Steve, Mark, but she says her name is Cy. And apparently and I'm getting goosebumps just telling this story. Apparently, Jonathan Larson, when they were first rehearsing, brought in somebody who worked at a group that was very much like um, the 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 is it life support? That doesn't sound right. Yeah, life support. Um, yeah. Like that group brought in a woman to talk to them and tell them the details about how these things work and how AIDS worked. And her name was Cy. Um, so, and I'm tearing like I'm getting emotional talking about that. Um, but it's just I love those that attention to detail. Um, because for some, for people like us, Jen, like this show means so much and yeah, it might be dated in terms of things, uh, in terms of its relevancy in a lot of different ways, but it still is an incredibly important piece of theater history. Uh, because along with things like Torch Song and Angels in America and Boys in the Band, it really changed the way that theater looked at you know, uh, gay people, and then especially AIDS. And then it just carries so much sentimental value for people in our generations 
that this was a show that defined who we were as musical theater lovers. And, and I love that they paid that close of attention. Obviously Jonathan Larson's sister and dad were executive producers. Um, and I just, I, you know, I appreciated those little things, even if I didn't pick up on them originally and, and I had to be told about them, but that still means the world to me as a rent fan. I do too. And, you know, in, in keeping with things that we did, like I, I loved the little tributes on the screens to him mm, throughout yeah. the show. And especially at the very end in, in lieu of Mark's film for them kind of explaining to the audience, like, Oh, let us tell you about this guy that we've been paying tribute to, because if you're not a rent fan, you probably don't know the story. And I thought that was really sweet. Yeah. And this seems like the perfect way to close this part of the conversation up. We're talking about things we like. We're talking about the end. Could we just talk about like how freaking emotional it was to be able to see the entire, I'm, not the entire, just... but almost the entire original cast on stage at the end? Like how, how teary eyed were you? Oh, I crumbled. I literally like, <laughs> I literally crumbled in half because I knew it was coming. Uh, you, had sent, you had sent me a screenshot of their dressing rooms and they're like, they're going to make an appearance and kind of forgot about it and all the hubbub of the whole broadcast. Yeah, totally. And then it happened and I was just, I, I just crumbled. I was, I was 25 years old and I was in seven degree below zero weather, I was sleeping <laughs> outside waiting for tickets and, and there they were. Yeah. And that's, I, it was the perfect way to do it. I still, I, I'm still of the opinion that they should have played the parents, but that's neither here nor there. They're, they all had different stuff that they were doing. But in, in lieu of them playing the parents, um, this was the perfect way to do it. Had them sing Seasons of Love at the end and have them standing in a line. And what I loved, Gen 2, is the fact that it wasn't just the principals. It wasn't just... Anthony and Adam and Daphne and Adina and Tay and Jesse and and, um, and and everybody else, they had the original ensemble member as well. The original squeegee guy was there. The original Lexi Darling was there. Um, and that meant so much to me. I mean, I just because, you know, and I, and it same thing, like the um, one of the dancers in this show. Did you watch this last season of So You Think You Can Dance? No. Okay, so one of the prizes for the winner of So You Can Dance was to be in the dancing ensemble of Rent. And the winner, her name is Hannah Leigh Cabanilla. Um, she's, um, I don't know her nationality, but she's uh, some sort of Asian um, or, or Pacific, uh, you know, something. But she wore the original pigtail, fuzzy pink bra costume from the original cast. And I was like... I, I got emotional just looking at all of those things because they were such ties back to the original. And then to see the original cast come on stage with Adina Menzel and Tay Diggs standing next to each other, which is it's a little salty. That was a little interesting. Um, they do co-parent, so I'm sure they have a fine you know, adult relationship, but it was still fun to see that. Um, but I love that. I, I that, that, that meant a ton to me as a fan and helped certainly redeem some of the low points of the night. It did, and when my sweet little Adam Pascal walked in the back and sat on the table with Brennan, and it was just such a great moment. Oh my god, you just feel like you're 24 years old again. Yeah, it was really special.
I think that puts a nice bow on our opinions of Rent Live-ish. Uh, I think we both thought that there were some goods, some bads, and it missed uh, a ton of, of optim- opportunity or potential to be something truly great based on some decisions, whether they were casting, how to deal with uh, you know the, the unfortunate injury and some other things. But I think overall, it was a positive, and I don't think that this is necessarily a death nail to the live musical format that some people seem to think it is. But um, I'm excited to see hair, I guess, in in May. I'm not a hair person. I don't really understand hair at all, um, mainly because I don't have any. But um, you jump in here and say that I'm a huge hair person. And I, uh, I saw the movie probably earlier than I should have. But um, I love the musical. I love that it's concept and there's... Uh, it's more about the atmosphere than I just love it. And I saw it at the Hollywood bowl a few years ago with my dear, dear friend, Jenna. And we were so obsessed with it because it's just the music. I don't know. I love hair. Um, I'm really excited about that. Yeah. The music, the music is great. Uh, the show itself, I just don't get, but yeah, it's really not about the plot. It's about the time period, which is, um, really fascinating time period to me. We don't know what Fox is going to do for their next live musical event. What they have said is that they're actually looking to create their own jukebox musical for the next live musical event. Okay. Um, We know that Hair is coming up next for NBC. We also know that Bob Greenblatt is no longer the president of NBC, so we don't exactly know what is going to happen with the live musical format on television for the foreseeable future. But... If you had a show or two that you think would make a good property for television, not just in terms of the artistry and what is being broadcast, but also would bring viewers in, throw throw two or three at me and, and, and see if we have any that overlap or can jog the memories of, of each other about what might work. Do you have anything off the top of your head? I've got I've got two or three or four. Do you want to reveal them or no? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. Um, I think what would make total sense is to do Annie around Christmas time. I, it wouldn't be my favorite choice, but I think from a an audience standpoint, and it's actually it's a fun show. Um, I think that would be good. The recent Willow Smith remake, notwithstanding. Um, I also think that Fiddler on the Roof would probably do really well. Um, if we're looking for something a little bit newer, I look. I, I stand for this show and I will not apologize for it. I'm kind of surprised we haven't had Legally Blonde, the musical, uh, on TV yet. I think that would be really good. Maybe throw um, Dove Cameron in that. Um, I think that would probably do really, really well. If you want something a little darker, a little edgier, throw in maybe a Heather's musical or what I think we should absolutely... I'm shocked we don't have it yet with Megan Hilty as the star is Little Shop of Horrors. So there's my uh, my five suggestions that, to varying degrees, I think would be good amalgamations of both the artistic and the commercial side of these live TV musical broadcasts. Do you have any anything? Or you... you said mine, so I'm, I don't have... I, I got... I think Little Shop is the obvious choice. I... I think it has enough of a following with musical theater as well as not with musical theater that it would draw on a big crowd. And uh, Megan Hilty, you're absolutely correct. Oh, God, and she's awesome. I know there are people who would kill for an Ellen Green cameo somehow. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, she's amazing. I mean, she did the Encores concert with Jake Gyllenhaal, you know, three or four years ago, and she slayed. Like, she somehow, at least in our circle of theater people, like, she stole the spotlight from Jake Gyllenhaal, which is not something that anybody really can do in this world. But if you leave it to Ellen Green, uh, she definitely can. So, um, all right, Jen, let's turn away from these live musicals. And uh, just real quick, before we head out, uh, are there any pop culture things since we haven't really done this for almost a, a calendar year? Are there any pop culture things that you're really into right now? We're really looking forward to um, whether it's on big screen, small screen, streaming, stage, music, anything like that. Well, um, I'm going to see Hello Dolly uh, February 15th at the Pantages starring Betty Buckley, maybe. maybe. And uh, I am a huge fan of the movie. And I know it's not popular among a lot of people because eh, she's too young. She was Miss Cass, blah, 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 whatever. I grew up on it, and it was the first viewing of Hello, Dolly. It's the one in my head. So I'm really excited to see it for the first time on the stage, February 15th. That's crazy. That's crazy. I know. I've never seen, I've it. Never seen it on stage. So I'm excited about that. Um, other than that, uh, hopefully... I'm hoping this year slows down because January has been rough. So, um, pop culturally, you know, I'm lots of big TV going on, but you know, the Oscars are coming up. Not really invested in a lot of the movies this year. I've only seen Bohemian Rhapsody and Black Panther. Um, both of which, both of which I love. So, uh, I don't know how invested I'll get. I'm just not into a star is born as much as I love Lady Gaga just not watching the fourth remake of it. I'm just, I'm just not. And it's depressing. Like that's my, I know it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. We've seen all the other ones or I haven't seen all of them, but I've seen two of the the previous ones and it's just sad. And I don't need that. Like we talked about this a couple years ago after, I don't know, November 8th, 2016, that kind of our preferences or at least I'll speak for me because you always were super big on comedies, but my preferences and what I wanted to watch kind of changed to a certain degree, not completely, but I started embracing the comedies more. And this is not a comedy per se, but now that the good place is, has finished its third season. It's amazing. Watch it. Stream it. (laughs) No, 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 not that. That's what I'm talking about. Um, Now that that's off the air, the only thing that I really look forward to and Jen, you're going to roll your eyes and you're going to make fun of me and you're going to hate me for this. The Superstore. No, it's not Superstore. I haven't watched that this season, although it is a good comedy and I think you would like it if you give it another try. It is something far worse and far more embarrassing than that. It is Fox's big reality show of the season. Jesus Christ. So you're the reason Brooklyn Nine-Nine got canceled because you're watching their bullshit masked singer? It's pretty amazing. I mean, like I'm not going to lie. Like That first episode, that series premiere was one of the greatest hours of television that I've ever experienced in my life because it was so ludicrous and so absurd that it was hysterical. And I, I've said this on Broadway radio before, like I kind of spoiled myself because I went and watched or I went and Googled like who some of the people might be. And yeah, it's probably not as fun as it was, but man, those first couple episodes before I, you know, while I still had the, uh, self-restraint not to look uh, were pretty thoroughly entertaining in a batshit crazy kind of way. Okay, well, if you want actual good television, you should turn into <laughs> Brooklyn Nine-Nine because yes. it is fantastic. And I still recommend Shit's Creek because those two shows, along with The Good Place, are the 
are the hardest. I laugh all week and it's all about the laughs right now. Yeah. And uh, something else that we've talked about many times over the years, Jane, the Virgin comes back for its final season in March, not a comedy per se, but definitely just as much feel good as it is um, emotional. I I have no idea what's going to happen in this final season, but I'm very much looking forward to it. So also I made the mistake yesterday of watching Bohemian Rhapsody before rent and when we went to sleep last night, my boyfriend said, today was a lot of Bohemia and a lot of AIDS. And that's the best <laughs> way I could sum up our Sunday. <laughs> a lot of Bohemia and a lot of AIDS. Okay. All right. I think that's a good way to sign off. So thanks for listening to whatever we're calling this show. You can find these episodes for now in the Broadway radio feed. We don't really know what we're doing. We're just kind of playing this by ear. You, of course, can get that on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. We still have that Twitter account, Jen. So I think we're going to have to kind of start like posting stuff there. So you can follow us at SLIP Podcast. I think we're going to have to keep that acronym for whatever we call it. But um, you can get in touch with uh, Jen on Twitter at Eponine Q. That's E P O N I N E Q. And you can follow me at B W W M A T T. Jen, this was nice. We agreed, we disagreed. Um, for the most part, it felt like old times. It did. It's, it's nice to know that your taste hasn't improved. Mm-hmm.